0: Welcome to the Race with Jesus podcast, Him and Everyday with Life Jesus meets yours. In this episode, we have our sermon from this past Sunday, June 13th, 2021, talking about to the point of death and the use of the keys. And just a brief note, I mean the first of two brief notes before we get into this episode, into this sermon. um, The way that I like to run a sermon series is that I generally like to stick with the appointed readings for a particular Sunday and that I look for the specific applications that the series calls for. And this Sunday happened to work out just perfectly. And then secondly, be sure to check out the show notes for the sermon discussion guide in PDF format or just paste it into the notes for you to work through on your own or with somebody you love. Here goes. Dear fellow redeemed, if you are visiting with us today or this is your first time here, um, just a quick tour of our bulletin. On the back cover, you've got kind of the outline that's especially for children or especially, well, for any of us to um, be a little bit more proactive in our participation in the service. And then if you go inside the back cover, page 9 is your sermon discussion guide for you to take home and uh, go through on your own or with somebody that you love. And then page... Um, page 8 is a little bit of space to take notes if you are so inclined. And at the very least, it gives you the basic outline that I'll be following in our sermon today in the bold, bolded words down the left-hand column. Two weeks ago, when we started talking about this, this topic that we're considering to the point of death, we talked about, first of all, the fact that there at Holy Baptism, God committed you to this battle, and God committed you to make a Christian confession. There at Holy Baptism, even the youngest among us, was brought into the sheepfold of our Savior, the Good Shepherd. And, and we even talked about the fact that in most of our congregations around eighth grade or so, you know, before the kids most of our kids at least know how to run the dishwasher properly and empty it, before most of our kids perhaps know how to do their own laundry and fold it and put it away. Um, Around eighth grade, most of our congregations have the children come forward after a period of instruction, and they are confirmed in the Christian faith, confirmed in the Lutheran faith, where they stand up and confess that, uh, yes, I I would rather lose my life than lose my Jesus. And after that period of instruction, they are welcomed as participants at the Lord's table, as people who are instructed and people who have the ability and capacity to examine themselves. Then last week, we talked about some of the joy that we have as Christians, that it's perhaps easy, or perhaps even too simple, if that's a better word, it's perhaps too simple to fall into kind of this us-versus-them mentality and think all we're doing as the Christian church, we just got to hold on to what we have. we just got to hold on to what we have until Jesus comes again. It's kind of like an us versus them as though the Christian church is huddled up in this little fortress waiting for Jesus to come down with relief from heaven. And that is a picture that has served the Christian church well over the years. Indeed, it's the picture that Tolkien used at the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But last week, we talked about the rest that Jesus provides. That our life as Christian confessors, our life as Christians, you could just leave it at that, is one of joy, one of rest, one of positive blessings and benefits that include rest from the work that we thought we had to do in order to earn God's favor. And that rest for the conscience spills over into the rest of our lives and spills over and, yes, colors our Christian confession as well. But then we get to this week. (laughs) Then we get to this week. In our first reading, God seeks out Adam and Eve who are hiding in the garden after the first sin, and they, they are experiencing that sense of guilt and shame for the very first time, and to a degree that neither you or I could certainly comprehend. And God seeks them out. Where are you? Adam, where are you? God knows where he is. But that seeking love of God is the exact image that we have even for Christians today. That seeking love of God where he didn't want Adam to to simply die in his sin, to run away from God forever. He didn't want Adam to cover over his sin and his guilt and his shame with, with distractions and trying to forget about it. God didn't want Adam to think that everything was hunky-dory just because the sun was still shining and the fruit was still growing on all those other trees. God sought him out so that, so that God could call him to repentance, could call him back to the truth, back to the faith, which opens the door to the exact topic that we're talking about today, which is what we call the use of the keys. You know what keys are, right? I mean, we, we open and unlock our, our door. We use keys on our car. Maybe you even have a fob for your car. Um, but God uses the keys with Adam and Eve. As he goes and seeks them out, and he, he says, what have you done? That proclamation of law, he's looking, he's looking for this confession, this admitting that, yes, I have sinned against you. I did exactly what you told me not to. And even though, even though some people might try to dismiss Genesis 3 as, as myth, well, Jesus said it was true, Matthew chapter 19. And even though people might try to dismiss Genesis 3 as out of place, all that is is trying to dismiss the authority and the power that God has. God gave one command, do not eat from this tree, and they ate from it, and then they hid and we know that pattern all too well. Maybe it's not eating fruit from a tree. Maybe it's not breaking a specific command that God had spoken to us like that. But I'm sure that, I'm sure that you know from your own experience and from your own conscience, as Christians who have been instructed in the Word of God, has there been a time in the last week where you knew something was incorrect and you did it anyway. Where you knew what God says about about lust and those thoughts, well, they didn't just linger there. You know what God says about coveting, and, and it came to mind, and then you dwelt on it more. Coveting not just, I want what they have, but I want that specific thing. You know what God says about just fill in the blank, the blessings that he has entrusted to you, the responsibilities that he's given to you, and we let our words and our thoughts sin against God and our fellow person. And God, in his seeking love, seeks you out. The use of the keys is really, I try to distill it down as much as possible, the use of the keys is the proclamation of law and gospel to a specific person. Where God in his love proclaims his law and our consciences bug us as the voice of God's law in our hearts. And God's law convicts us even though we want to run away even though we follow the footsteps of our father Adam, even though we want to run away, God's law convicts us and says, you can't. There's no excuse. There's no way to get away from what you've said. God's law convicts us. And the use of the keys is simply is simply a fellow Christian using, the, using that proclamation with you. It happens most often um, in relationship with somebody where they say, well, you know, th- thinking of the example of, um, of just the words that we use. You let that word fly out, and you just twinge it with enough of a, enough of a hook to get in the dig, <laughs> and they caught it too. And they say, dear friend, fellow Christian, or hey you, you know what you said there? And that was wrong. That was a sin, and, and they might go on, they might go on to say that was a sin against me and a sin against our relationship and a sin against our God. Wow. Is that uncomfortable? And that first key that says, this is what God's law demands. And this is where you have fallen short. How can we call it love when it's a statement of law like that? What sort of loving relationship, what sort of loving relationship would be characterized by each one speaking up to say, well, this is what you did, and this is how you have sinned against me? That's a question that comes up when we talk about the use of the keys. The question of how can we use, how can loving people and a loving God proclaim God's law? Well, it's the exact same thing that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. That God doesn't want his people to be stuck in that sin and to be denying that sin. God doesn't want his people to be running away from him. (laughs) And so he seeks them out. And you and I as Christians, as part of our Christian confession, we use the keys. Yes, Pastor uses them publicly, where I get to announce at the beginning of the service... Both the while well, we join together in confess, confessing our sin, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and then pastor publicly gets to say, for the sake of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose from the dead for you, your sin is forgiven. Because that's the second key. The first key is this proclamation of God's law to a specific person, not as a personal attack, <laughs> and, it's, and it's simple enough, or it would be tempting enough, to let our own emotions get interjected in there and say, now I've got something on you, and I'm gonna let you know where you have sinned against me. This isn't a personal attack hinging on my own personal emotions. This is just an objective statement of infraction against God and against neighbor for the purpose of getting to that second key, the announcement of forgiveness. The realization of guilt, as Adam and Eve should have done, I have sinned against you by what I did. I have sinned against you, Lord. I broke your command, and God announces, and you and I get the opportunity to announce, your sin is forgiven. I forgive you because our Lord has forgiven you too. That's the keys in a nutshell. And the reason that we call them the keys... um, it kind of comes from the end of the Gospel of John, and it comes up in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 as well, where the, the first key is what we call the binding key, the proclamation of law. That first key is basically binding somebody's sin to themselves, calling them to repentance in very strong terminology, very strong words, um, and you don't have to add any personal emotion to it to make it strong. You simply announce what the spiritual reality is. Dear friend, by your unrepentance, you have forfeited the forgiveness that Jesus won for all people. It's not always a pleasant thing to say, but it's certainly a necessary thing to say, and we as mature Christians, and you can think of this in your own life, that we often have to do and say things that aren't necessarily pleasant, but are definitely necessary. And the purpose of that proclamation is to get to that second part, the second key, the loosing key or the unlocking key, where you can announce, dear friend, your sin is forgiven and the door to heaven is unlocked and open to you. Why does this matter? Because it would be quite tempting for us to forget what Jesus wants us to do And it would be tempting to see and dismiss what God is doing there in our first reading and to buy into the ideas of the world around us to say, love doesn't say that. If you say, dear Christian, that you have a loving God, then certainly here are the category of things that you cannot address. And here are the things that you cannot say. And we as polite people back in Minnesota, we called it Minnesota Nice. Um, First of all, that's an absolute fallacy. It doesn't exist. But second of all, that idea of social niceties is just kind of this cultural pressure to say that we don't talk about that here. And if you just paste on a smile and get on with life, then we can pretend that everything's okay. But as Christians who have been baptized into the truth, we don't have the option of just pretending that everything is okay. We aren't here to be, you know, the, uh, the police. We're here as fellow redeemed sinners. We're here in the presence of God to say, I know what my Lord has done for me and won for me. And the only way, even as Jesus puts it in our gospel lesson, the only way that this forgiveness can be forfeited is through unbelief. And we, all we can do, I mean, you and I can't read hearts, but we can go by what we see and by what we hear. And that if somebody says they are a Christian, that doesn't work with persistent and unrepentant sin. I've talked about this before and I think, it, I think it fits here and it's perhaps a helpful memory hook that our confession of talk, what we say we believe, we want to mesh up with our confession of walk. And, and that's not to say that Christians never sin. They most certainly do. But the attitude is entirely different. The attitude of the Christian is that of, well, waking each morning and recognizing that my Lord has given me another day and that my Lord, who baptized me into his own body, has promised his baptismal grace for this day, of this humility that says, I'm not going to defend what I do. If somebody, if somebody confronts me, then I'll freely say, yes, you're correct, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Not, it's okay. But that, that sorry is followed up with, I forgive you. That's the keys that's the attitude of of the christian as we confess this faith together as christians who have the only the only option we have is to is to confess the christian faith in how we use these keys then we need to use them in our relationships with one another and even within god's church to say instead of letting holding a grudge against somebody and letting their words just fester in the back of our minds. Just get it out in the open and say, I I was really hurt by what you did there, by what you said there. That was a sin against me or a sin against us in this relationship. Most of all, it was a sin against our God. And we don't talk that way. And and I know that part of that is because a lot of our culture is built on, on this idea that feeling shame for things is a bad thing. But as Christians, we should be able to be a place, and we should be able to be people who can say, yes, I did do that, and I did say those things. And the proclamation, the announcement from the other Christian, dear friend, your sin is forgiven because Jesus died and rose, and I forgive you too. And I forgive you too. What would your life look like if that confession, that announcement and of, of law and gospel, if that confession of sins and the forgiving of sins characterized your life? What would your, what would your marriage look like if the, the argument wasn't, well, you said this, and the counter-argument, well, but remember that time when you, you did that? What would your marriage look like if you just took a step back and say, I'm sorry, and that was wrong of me? And followed up with, you know, here's this moment of vulnerability where you, you said, I'm sorry, and the other person has, has the free reign to say and do what they want, and they say, I forgive you and I love you. What would your parenting look like if we addressed our children not just with stop that and don't do this, and this whole set of cultural presuppositions that children are to be heard or they're to be seen and not heard, and they always have to have to be behaving in every circumstance, behaving properly. But what would it look like if we honed in a little bit more closely? on that relationship of respect between parent and child, that the child owes respect to the parent, and the parent owes that sort of love and care for the child. Well, all of a sudden, two-thirds of what really might get parents irritated is is off the table, like, I don't really mind if if you're doing that right now or if you're walking away from your dinner right now because you'll be hungry later. But when you talk about that relationship of respect, you know, son, not to, I'm not going to name names, but you could, you could imagine. You know, son, the way that you said that really conveyed or said a lot about, um, was very rude and disrespectful. And the son, hopefully in response, has learned to say, I'm sorry, dad. And then dad doesn't just brush it off and say, it's okay, go go on with your day. But dad follows it up with, I forgive you, and I love you. That's the sort of relationship that the use of the keys is designed to foster. That's the sort of confession, the sort of Christian confession of faith that the use of the keys is designed to encourage. And how often... This is the toughest part, right? How many blessings have we left on the table and unused through our lack of the use of the keys because we don't want to rock the boat? And how many times has a relationship simply not progressed because we were afraid of how the other person might react? And I think each of us can probably think and name for ourselves exactly, probably in vivid technicolor in our own minds, exactly what Pastor Hagen might be referring to in your own life. And for that, I have the privilege of announcing to you personally, individually, and as a body, that you called me here to use the keys publicly on your behalf. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, Your sin is forgiven too. What would your family and your relationships and our congregation and our congregations look like if we practiced the use of the keys? Now, there's that one caveat, and um, and it's right there in our gospel reading. The one caveat from Mark chapter 3 is here is Jesus, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's, yes, using the keys. (laughs) And his family says, oh, man, you're crazy. His family tries to come and say he has lost his mind. Um, Verse 21, when his own people heard this, they went out to take control of him because they were saying he is out of his mind. He's totally lost it. You know, this isn't what we do here. This isn't what um, our society deems as, as nice. This isn't what, what God's people should be doing. You know, as followers of Jesus, we need, to be, we need to maintain that veneer of being nice, and Jesus isn't using nice words. And so his family says, you know what? <laughs> this is embarrassing, and maybe he's a little crazy. But how does our Savior respond There at the end of our gospel lesson, he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? He looked at those who sat around him in a circle, and he said, Look, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And there's that switch. Where, yes, he talks about it generally. Who are my mother and my brothers, verse 33. But then, verse 35, he pairs it down to the precise individual, whoever, whoever, Any individual person, that's a singular, whoever it is that does the will of God, is my brother and sister and mother. Do you see the result of this use of the keys, even in the ministry of Jesus, and the blessing of the use of the keys that Jesus promises for our congregations today? That Jesus himself comes, and he ties up Satan and casts him out Jesus comes, and he brings himself into fellowship with us so that each of you individually can say, yes, I know Jesus died for the sins of all people, but most of all, I know my Jesus died for me. And the Lord of the universe calls me his sister or his brother or his mother. The Lord of the universe calls me a member of his own family. Why? Because he rose from the dead because his resurrection gives power to the spiritual words of these keys, because his resurrection brings the power to the announcement of forgiveness that you and I share. So that pushback that you or I might get, and that I'm sure you've heard, that it's not loving to talk about these things, it's not loving to speak God's law, Well, it's answered right there by our Savior when He declares the most loving thing of all, that He gave Himself for our sin and that He brought us into fellowship with Him. And He's, yes, He's given us these tools of the announcement of law, the announcement of non-forgiveness, and the concurrent announcement of the Gospel and forgiveness. He's given us these tools in order to build up His body, the church, in order to bring each of us into fellowship with Him, as we continue to make that clear Christian confession, even at the point of death, that this is the Jesus we serve. And even if Jesus isn't calling me to die for him today, he's still calling me to use the keys as his ambassador today. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. Once again, be sure to check out the show notes for the sermon discussion guide, both in PDF or simply in the notes portion of your podcast app. God bless your day.